0: On Bears fans, happy Monday. Let's start this week off right. And if you're here on the CHGO Bears podcast feed, you're doing just that. As you know, CHO Bears is presented by Points Bet. If you use the promo code CHGO when you sign up, you get two risk free bets up to two thousand dollars. I'm your host, Nicholas Moriano. I'm joined by Will DeWitt, who's in the bubble, our head of content and first baseman for tonight's CHO softball game. That's, Kevin K. That's breaking
1: lineup news. Hey, I didn't that's know all right. That. Okay. Who are you guys playing tonight? That's, WGN my, that's Radio. my old league.
0: Where's, uh, where's uh, Kevin at? We're Kevin, playing WGN Radio right
1: and uh, CHGO sports slash WGN Radio guy, Kevin Wells. All this right.
0: should be an interesting game. Um, we need to win. But in making his CHGO Bears debut is our special guest for today's show. He's a sports historian and Bears historian for our good
2: friends at Windy City Gridiron, Jack M. Silverstein. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, guys. How are you? Great. I didn't know we were going to talk softball. Otherwise, I would have told you to add to my intro, two-time Cup League champion. Chicago now, 2013-2018. Oh,
0: we're missing, like, the, the best accolade right there because we are trying to find our footing in this league right now, and we desperately, desperately need to win. Where are you playing your short center fielder? It, it, we don't play a short center fielder. You guys go four across? I also thought that was, you know, an interesting... I, th- I think we might need a transition to the short center fielder. I you think have Silverstein have
2: agrees. You have to have your short center fielder as kind of a roaming gapper. That should be your number one outfielder, positioned just behind short and kind of forming a triangle with center and left. Okay. O- almost and then they, obviously uh, a shift on lefties.
1: Right. Almost another infielder. So are you retired now? Yeah, uh, You want to come out and manage? Yeah, we're
2: over I I I I am retired. I was uh, – I was uh, on the Chicago Now team from 2011 to 2019, mm-hmm. co-manager 13 to 16, somewhere in there, and I was commissioner of the league for four or five years. Okay.
0: Wow. Well, oh, the more you know now. The more you know. Yeah. And we have a Cup game league tonight. for life. We'll see what Dirt happens Angels. there. Um, Will, uh, this is like our fifth podcast in a row together. It's like, you know,
3: reminiscing on old times. How, how have you been? i'm doing good i feel better than i did on friday i spent the weekend feeling a little ill i actually woke up today and i thought it was sunday and i thought kevin knocked out her newsletter a whole day early and i was like damn that's awesome (laughs) i'm just sitting there i'm like wait is it monday it is monday so a little bit of a late start to the (laughs) week but i'm feeling good
0: glad to hear you're doing better i know you're uh, a little ill like you said going into the weekend but glad you're here and we're have a full uh full Full cast here for the CHO Bears podcast, which is always great uh, to start the week off on a Monday. Um, before we get into some serious discussion about potential Bears Hall of Famers, Joey, I think I sent you a clip that I just want us all to react to real quickly. Um, pretty local for, for me. It's like a, maybe a 10, 15-minute drive to Kenosha from where I'm at. But I don't know if you saw this, Jack, over the weekend. But, and it does involve a, a Green Bay Packer. Um, A.J. Dillon. Mm-hmm. Here and this poor Kenosha Kingfish mascot. Um six million views.
2: Oh <laughs> Jesus <laughs> God. Whoa. <laughs> Lost the head. Lost the For, head. What I've
0: noticed is if you look, he's he's already struggling to keep the head on. He's gotta he's gotta hold it right oh, here yeah, when he's standing one, up, grab. and then it immediately is coming and, off. And you could see AJ Dillon, he's already in a stance where for, you're looking at the mascot. Yeah, he's yeah. already charging. Oh he's barely standing up. And then decapitation. So,
1: right <laughs> <there>. <laughs> so, for the, 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 podcast, the podcast crew, if you're not watching this, you've probably already s- seen the viral clip. It's A.J. Dillon just knocking the
0: crap out of a snot
1: car. out of the, the Kingfisher <laughs> mascot. When I watched this, I, it reminded me of I don't know if you guys remember this Randall Simon. Oh, yeah. The Pittsburgh Pirates, Taking first the baseman. Taking sausage. Taking the bat to the sausage—I think that's probably been 15 or 16 years ago already. Um, it was right
2: before we traded for him, so it was over three. That's, that's,
1: mm, oh, that wow. was—that's—that's—that's that's, that's right. It was the same season. Yeah. Um, I think sometimes people forget that there's actually people in these things, and <laughs> I think this was the case.
0: Yeah, that um, they did a whole story on him in the Athletic now too. So I mean, hey, it happens when you get trucked by AJ Dillon. But I feel
1: like the Athletic actually caught up with the woman who was inside the sausage costume and what it was like, like 15 or 20 years later, like, yeah, what it was like.
0: There it goes. Well, just want to start off on on a light note to show what happens if you're a potential mascot. But actually, before we get into this discussion, uh, about again, potential bears, hall of famers, Jack, for our audience, I want to ask you a couple questions so they can get to know you a little bit. Um, being a sports historian, what is it about history? And the deep dives that you do because you do a fantastic job that has just
2: gravitated you towards this specific type of field i've always been interested in history um i think part of that is an interest in lists i liked just looking at full lists of things particularly you know when i was 10 what are lists of things that have happened annually for 25 30 50 100 years before i was born so i loved Mm -hmm. lists of super bowls i loved lists of presidents I love. Li- so all, all of those types of things. Um, and then part of it is that. So uh, Rick tellender has been one of my mentors and a friend of mine for a long time. And he said one of the ways that he got into history was that he just got older and all of a sudden the things that he lived through were history. <laughs> and that's how I feel now with a lot of this 90s stuff is that it's it still feels fresh to me but then I realize, oh, yeah, not everybody's spent 25 years thinking about Matt Degenga and the 97 Bulls. Oh, that might be something of interest to folks. So I think it's a combination of just a natural interest in history and and then the aging process of realizing you've got this whole backlog of information that people who are younger don't have. I think that you really, more or less, I think you peak as a sports fan in terms of pure just – Passion and crazed emotion probably around 25 somewhere in there I think you sort of start to really become a fan where you know what you're looking at at 10 I think your peak starts probably around 15 or 16 probably by 25 Depending on where your teams are at the Mm -hmm. time, you know might go a little bit longer as you get a little bit older becomes a little bit more challenging to muster that level of just pure emotion Although I was a screaming mess when the Cubs won the World Series <laughs> and I was thirty I was just about to turn thirty five. So it's still it still is there. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think that it just takes
1: you a little bit more. It takes it, you a little bit It takes ending longer. a hundred and eight year drought Correct. to kinda of get that going for you. Correct. I will say like I think a, a big part too is like once you kinda of have kids, that that changes the equation a little bit. It doesn't matter as much anymore the wins or losses when you know, you, you've got a family to take care of. But
2: I had to explain during, I, I had to explain to my daughter during the double doink why
1: why daddy was saying daddy those was words. Screaming.
2: <laughs> I had to explain then two years later during the Saints playoff game, particularly on the reverse pitch. I don't even right. want to bring up dude's name. It was un- very unfortunate, but you know what I'm talking about. Back of the end zone, boop. Yep. And I had to kind of explain to her, daddy is mad, but he's not mad at you. Daddy's saying bad things, but he's not saying them to you. (laughs) Kind of maybe go play a little bit and I'll be back. But then when the sky won, that was her first championship. That was her Mm. first ability to understand, oh, if you win a lot of games, they give you a trophy and like everybody's cheers. And that was very exciting. So that's a cool part of it as well. But the history is just so interesting. It's also a, it's also a, a branding and, and career niche move because you kind of start to say, all right, this is very competitive. What am I very good at? I'm very good at understanding history. I'm very good at tying the past to the present. That would be a good way to start to introduce myself more formally as I'm doing you know, shows and writing. And it was really probably the jump off was my Bulls book in 96, it, excuse me, on 96 in 2016. It was a free PDF that I did on the 96 bulls. That was the first opportunity where I could go on shows and talk to people with, uh, with a, a sizable piece of work mm-hmm. that people could refer back to. And then as you start to do more of that, you're like, all right, now I'm the historian. Now I got to do a little bit more, etc." So it kind of rolls from there. Gotcha.
3: Jack, uh, real quick, you're talking about all the different ages and like the phases of fandom and i was going through my own kind of recollection about the numbers that you're hitting on and i I think you're onto something here like when i was 15 16 really into the bears so much so and i know they were you know in the super bowl around that time in my lifetime so that does help but then the last time i felt like really into this team and like buying in cheering them on 2018 and i was 25 turning 26 and of course They haven't given me many reasons to cheer since then. However, like that was like the last big hurrah that I've had personally as well. So hopefully if they turn things around here sooner rather than later, we can put this theory to the test. A little bit more about your background. Where did you go to school again? I just wanna make sure we're on the same page here.
2: I went to Indiana University. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I knew that, I knew that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Wrote for the newspaper um, for, for four years and uh, went to National Lewis University, got my teaching certificate. Didn't end up going into teaching, but love National Lewis, so shout-out to NLU.
3: Yeah, I had to throw an IU when I can in there. I don't get many opportunities on the show to have a brethren. You know, someone else that went to the same school as I did, wrote for the same newspaper, and uh, glad Jack's on, so I have this moment. I was there for the
2: Bob Knight firing. I was um, (laughs) out there for the riot. I guess you would call it it was the first time I'd ever seen riot police. Yeah. And it was what, what also, up, mate. It was also when yeah, exactly. It was also when I established my personal rule that if you are under six feet and in between a house and riot police, you move out of that space <laughs> to the back of the crowd behind the police. Idea. Which was the smart play, because then all of the tear gas started going off and people were just running and knocking into each other. We've been out all day marching and yelling and it was madcap. So you,
1: you were there the last time the Hoosiers were any good at basketball,
2: too. I was working. I was a, a longtime pizza delivery guy, eight years. And at that point, I was working at Domino's. Okay. And the night that we beat Duke, it typically took me six, seven minutes maybe to oh get from my dorm at the time to that Domino's pizza. I think it took about 45 minutes wow. after that game ended. I remember being at a stoplight, and, lo- and the, and the stoplight was shaking. Cool. That's awesome. And I looked up, and it was because there were just people hanging on it. I got the best tips of my life that <laughs> night, and oh, it bet. was going yeah. off. And the final four was fun. That was a run. That was a good time.
0: That's awesome, Jack. Well, hey, we we have some uh, like I said earlier at the top here potential Bears Hall of Famers to talk about, and no better person to talk about it than you, Jack. And you actually have a couple pieces on Winnie City Gridiron that we want to discuss here today. Um, kind of starting with Steve McMichael's surprising Hall of Fame case in five steps. Um, for people who haven't read that yet, definitely go to Windy City, Grider, Windy City Gridiron and check that out. But we're going to discuss it here on today's podcast. But Steve McMichael, obviously, we, we all know about his condition that he's in right now. But you and your, your article laid out in five steps. Um, we'll just kind of start it from the top and kind of work our way down and kind of discuss what you kind of researched and, again, potentially the ways that yeah. he can get it.
1: Well, first update, like, where he is in this process Mm -hmm. right now. He was on a list of 50 and then did not make it to the cut of 25. He was on a
2: hypothetical list. Okay. So, so yeah. So, right now what he's in is he's in the the senior category. Mm -hmm. And the way that the Pro Football Hall of Fame works is you retire, you wait five years, and then you're eligible. It's called the modern era. When you talk about guys who are first ballot, Brian Urlacher, first ballot, Devin Hester, not first ballot. That's the modern era group. Mm -hmm. So you wait your five years, then you become eligible, and then you have 20 years of being eligible in the modern era category. Sam Mills this year, the late Sam Mills, got into the Hall of Fame on his final year as a modern era candidate, and there was a lot of chatter about that. The reason that is significant is that once you have been eligible for 20 years and you don't make it, you shift into the senior pool. And now it's kind of very much up for grabs because the number of seniors who are elected annually is much lower than the number of modern era guys at three each year. And that's an, and that's expanded this year. It was, it was, it used to be one to two this year, next year, and the year after there will be up to three. They will vote in three for each of those years. You'll have nine. And that sounds great, except that there are 81 players who made all decade from 1920 to the 1990s who aren't in the Hall of Fame. Hmm. There are, Hmm. I think, 10x NFL MVPs, not counting counting the all-decade guys. So take the 81, add 10 MVPs, add a handful of Defensive Player of the Year guys, Offensive Player of the Year guys, add new seniors who were just getting close toward the end, Joe Jacoby, who's a semifinalist, Steve Tasker, who's not a semifinalist, uh, Mike Ken, who is a semifinalist, Everson Walls, who is a sever- semifinalist. Then you've got one of, I think the number one guy for me is Sterling Sharp, who, because of his shorter career, never made it into Canton. But that's shifting now where they're starting to honor guys with shorter careers.
1: He was a Packer, of, so I'm fine with that. That's, let's I, keep him on the out.
2: Uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame was founded in 1963, so they were already 43 years into the NFL. And they had 17 players go in, players, coaches, and Mm -hmm. owners go in that first year. But you had this huge backlog that you had to take care of because the league had already been existing for 43 years. Then they put in the senior committee in 1972, but it still didn't really clear it out. Then you might have heard a couple of years ago in 2020, they had 10. They had this big class for the 100-year anniversary, so they had 10 seniors go in. And there's still some guys who are eligible from that. They haven't gone in. So it's this huge collection of seniors, and we're Bears fans. We get passionate about Steve McMichael, about Jay Hilgenberg, yeah. about Wilbur Marshall, but every fan, like us, for every other team.
1: Jimbo Covert was in that 10, 10 person? Jimbo yeah. Covert
2: was in that 10, as was Ed Sprinkle. So we had two of the 10, and every fan of every team, and every writer for every team, and every player for every team, is doing exactly what we're Thanks. doing and they're sitting around, Cincinnati fans are sitting around talking about Ken Anderson and Ken Riley and Le, and and they've got beef because there's only one Cincinnati Bengal, not counting like T.O., there's only yeah. one Cincinnati Bengal in the hall, Anthony Munoz. So the Bronco fans are talking and the Raider fans are talking. They all, by the way, think that there is an anti-West Coast, anti-AFL yes. bias. The numbers bear it out. I don't know. We'll see. Whatever. But – there, there are all these fans of all these different teams. They're all doing the same thing that we're doing. They're all comparing their guy statistically mm-hmm. to this other guy. Yeah. They're all saying, well, you know, you've probably seen the memes, Zach Thomas and Brian Urlacher, or London Fletcher and Ray Lewis. And it doesn't matter if you say, yeah, but did you watch them?
1: Exactly. It doesn't
2: make a difference. They, Everybody wants their guy in. So these conversations are happening, and it creates this huge jam and a, and a huge uphill battle for... Everybody, Steve McMichael included. Now, Jack, just to kind of
0: go, like, you talked about stats. It's not always the end-all, be-all, but yeah. that's the first kind of line that you go there, making the statistical case, including the surprise that McMichael was a defensive tackle sack master. Yeah. what are I mean, out of all the stats that were kind of compiled in that section, is there one
2: that kind of stands out to you? There's a, there's a couple, and I never thought about Steve McMichael as a Hall of Famer at the time. He was mm-hmm. overshadowed by, I think, some teammates who were more obvious, where their, their greatness was a little bit more obvious. And still
1: is in probably the
2: mind of the average voter. I agree, absolutely. And I think also because of his personality, there was more, you know, you were a little bit more drawn to some of his rashness, his silliness, mm-hmm. his just, his turns of phrase, so colorful. But yeah, Dan Pompey wrote a piece on him, Rick Tellender wrote a piece on him, and I just said, all right, I got to give this a shake and see what it is. Mm-hmm. I knew that he had 95 career sacks. When he retired, that was most all-time for any defensive tackle. It's currently for Hall of Fame defensive tackles. If he were in the Hall of Fame, he'd be eighth. He's been passed by some guys who came after him, John Randall. Uh, Aaron Donald has already passed him. The sack totals were also extended recently from – 1982, when they were an official number, all the way back to 1960. So now we know how many sacks Alan Page had. Now Mm -hmm. we know how many sacks Deacon Jones had. But he's still eighth. Yeah. That was a pretty big number. And the number that really got me was, you know, he only had – he was only a four-time Associated Press All-Pro selection. Right. Only twice on the first team. But I looked at the sack totals – for his career basically for when he was a starter, 83 to 93, which was his last year in Chicago. And during that time, he actually out-sacked the average AP defensive tackle. So Steve McMichael was averaging 8.2 sacks per year, Mm -hmm. and the all-pro defensive tackle for the AP, who were were beating him out for that almost every year, 7.8 sacks. Mm -hmm. He's incredible, out-sacking yeah. the guys who are beating him out for all pro. So when you start to look at that, you also start to consider what he did on this incredible defense. And I think that, and this was one of the points I made, the 85 Bears get knocked as a one-hit wonder, as an underachiever, as, as, a, as a team that, that is true. As a defense, yeah. you're talking about a unit that was finishing top five in yards and points allowed annually over the course of almost a decade several number one rankings i mean doing better than what we saw with the tampa bay buccaneers of the 2000s doing better than what we saw with the ravens doing better than what we saw with the steelers steel curtain doing better than the orange crush doing better than the no-name defense doing better Mm -hmm. than all of these incredible defenses and the 85 excuse me the 80s bears were the team that was doing the best statistically And Steve McMichael played the most games of any of those guys because Mm -hmm. he had his consecutive game streak. So one of the points I brought up is that, you know, where is the bar? People will say, we can't have this many 85 Bears in the Hall of Fame. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Why Why can't (laughs) you? And, like, Mm -hmm. where's the bar? And certainly the bar is above the 2002 Buccaneers. 2002 Buccaneers, they got Derrick Brooks. They've got Warren Sapp. They've got John Lynch. They're about to get Rondé Barber. I've... Said, I think Simeon Rice should be a guy. So, the, the, the 80s Bears have obviously Samurai, they've got Dent, Hampton. So, if McMichael is four, do the 85 Bears and the 80s Bears defense not deserve a fourth player mm-hmm. when the Bucks are about Bucks. to get four? <laughs> exactly. I see no man
0: yeah, in the cool. comments, real quick, Will. I, I love Mongo just as much as the next Bears fan, but he ain't no Hall of Famer. We'll keep listening to Jack here, and I think maybe nomad that discussion will change here in a bit, but go ahead, Will.
3: Yeah, I was gonna ask. So in that article, one comparison that you made that I thought really does put things in a great perspective is McMichael versus that 49ers offensive tackle, Bryant Young, who was just enshrined. Like, can you share to our listeners like some of that comparison and how McMichael stacks up compared to someone that already is in the hall?
2: Yeah, so this can be a little bit dicey, and I and I, and I wrote about that because you can't make a one-to-one of the modern era guys against the seniors. Mm-hmm. And because they played at a little bit different times, it's a little bit harder with the numbers. But if Bryant Young is now the bar, then Steve McMichael is a Hall of Famer. Yes. Yeah. And even if he's not the bar, a lot of people would argue he is anyhow. Those 95 sacks, that's enough. That's enough, and it's not just like one huge season. So Joe Klecko of the Jets um, had, a gr- had an incredible season, and I don't want to besmirch anybody. He had 20.5 sacks in 1981. He led the NFL. Um, but he finished with 20 fewer, uh, almost 20 fewer sacks career mm-hmm. than Mick Michael. Now, if you're going to talk about, say, Bryant Young and his incredible comeback from injury, and you're going to talk about guys who had a short career – Jimbo Covert, who had a short career because of injuries. Tony Basselli, who's now in. Jarrell Davis, who's now in. Kenny Easley, who was a senior. Sterling Sharp. Gail Sayers. Gail Sayers. If you're going to argue that guys need to get the benefit of the doubt because f- football is a physical game and they got hurt, shouldn't that benefit of the doubt also extend to guys who didn't need that comeback, Yeah. who yeah. were the Ironmen? And when I look at Steve McMichael versus Bryant Young, you know, Bryant Young had a year where he finished, I think it was 4th in the defensive player of the year voting. McMichael never got that close. But McMichael in 1988 had a better year all the way all the way across the board, individual stats and team production than Bryant Young did, and just because of the way things worked out, Steve McMichael wasn't even an all-pro that year. Mm-hmm. Bryant Young was 4th in defensive player of the year voting. And so you look at that, you go, oh, well, Bryant Young had this standout season. Where's Steve McMichaels? But you actually look at the numbers and you look at how he compared to the guys, you know, at his position group. Steve McMichael was a monster in, a in 1988. So, I
1: mean, I, I would say, like, had you asked me a year ago, my knee-jerk reaction would have been similar to Nomad, saying, okay, McMichael's a great player, but he's probably not quite at that level. Then after reading what Dan Pompey uh, was able to put together... Yep. Here, sitting here and listening to you put things into perspective as, as McMichael related to that time, seeing his name mentioned in the same breath with Aaron Donald and John Randall, to me that means just so much and really swings me the other way.
2: Yeah, I think another thing to consider is, you know, and this is always the problem, and it's the problem in all sports, where do you draw the line between what you were able to do because of who you were Mm -hmm. versus what you were able to do because of the players around you. And there's no, there's never a way to fully pick that apart. Roger Craig is looking at that right now. Roger Craig is a senior semifinalist and a huge member of this incredible offense. And he hasn't gotten into the hall of fame yet. I think his odds are very good. And I, I think he might be going in this year if I, if I had to handicap it. But you look at Steve McMichael, Steve McMichael was still still having big sack totals. One of his best sack totals was after Dan Hampton was gone. It was after Singletary was gone. So he was still doing it all the way to the end. I also looked at, you know, you just try to, like, cut stats any way possible. And something that's just a reality now because of StatHead and all the reference sites, it is so much easier now to cut stats and Mm -hmm. find some kind of conclusion and say, oh, well, did you guys see the meme... That said, like it was like Magic, Bird, LeBron, MJ, and Thaddeus Young <laughs> were the only guys who had done that, that, and course. it was like 13.5 points and this many rebounds. And the reality was was that Thaddeus Young was exactly at 13.5 points and whatever this grouping, I don't remember what, what it was. Mm-hmm. And it was like MJ's at 30 and Magic's at 12 assists and and Larry's you know and LeBron's doing his thing and everything. It, it was kind of a joke mm-hmm. at that ability to go online now and cut stats however you want. And you can Mm -hmm. now say, oh, well, if you look at this, no, how many linebackers have had 20 interceptions and 15 sacks and four forced fumbles and finished top five and this and that? You can kind of do that all the way. But So one thing I was thinking of, you kind of have to apply a certain amount of common sense from your years of watching sports. So I was like, all right, what's a good sack season for a defensive tackle? Eight sacks. Yeah. Eight sacks. Now, you might have a nose guard. You might have a nose tackle who's going to be lower, like Michael Carter for the 49ers. Mm -hmm. You might have someone who's explosive, like Aaron Donald. Eight sacks is a good season Mm -hmm. for a defensive tackle. And Steve McMichael is third all-time in NFL history for defensive tackles with seasons of eight sacks. So he was steady, Mm -hmm. just putting them out year after year. If you also talk to guys, my guy Eric at Windy City Gridiron, he was, I think it was an assistant coach under um, someone who had, I'm messing the names up. Go to Wednesday City Gridiron and read the article. But it was at UCF. And his coach was a Bears fan and was telling him and everybody about specifically what McMichael was able to do and the bursts that he had and the way that he was able to take on blockers and a couple of different techniques that he was able to, lock in and popularize right. you know one of the things we talk about with charles tillman is that they teach defensive backs how to play the position based on charles tillman mm-hmm. and it's not happening on tv with mcmichael but according to eric who you know was closer to the game personally than i was it is happening in certain coaching circles like this is how you play this position and the fact with the 85 bears with that 46d McMichael was a guy who was moving around the line he was versatile he was powerful he was and that was different at that time to be moving around the line like he was totally totally different so when you look at the numbers when you look at the way people talked about him at the time when you look at what his opponents say about him it paints a different picture than maybe we even realized Mm -hmm. watching him in real time
0: and now I think Nomad's coming around What does to Nomad it, say now? To, uh, he said, but based on what this guy is saying, Jack, I can respect the argument. So at least we've got people already turning <laughs> as it's going. Uh, we're going to pick up on this, this, this discussion, and you actually mentioned a couple of players that we want to talk about later, but the best way to support CHGO is to download the PointsBet app and use code CHGO when you sign up. If you do that right now, you'll get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. That's not it. You make a $50 or more first-time deposit. You'll receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO locker. That's $2,000 in free bets, a free CHGO membership, and a free T-shirt from the CHGO locker, all for making more than a $50 first-time deposit at PointsBet. If you have any questions, you can email pointsbet at allchgo.com, and we'll help you out. Your home for live in-play betting just got even better. See an edge in the game you are watching Is your favorite team primed for a comeback? Don't just watch the game. Bet along with it live. More live betting, more live markets, and faster live cash outs. Follow along with your bets the moment they hit and stay in the live action all game long. Download the PointsBet app right now and use code CHGO. So what are you waiting for? It's time to elevate your live betting game. Once the game starts, don't just bet. Live your bet life with PointsBet. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral
3: services. Our next partner is a product that I literally am starting to use more and more often. Not every day yet, Nick, like you, but I'm using it more (laughs) than I ever have before. And that's AG1. I started taking it because, well... With a baby, I'm learning the more importance about gut health, and honestly, I need some extra energy around the house as well. So what is in this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, Whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. Literally, like all of the things. It's lifestyle-friendly as well. It supports better sleep quality and recovery, mental clarity and alertness. And on top of the health facts... It's also very sustainable as well. Their company has some great economy values. Athletic Greens is a climate neutral certified company, and in 2020 AD purchased carbon credits that support projects protecting old growth rainforest. So good for your body and good for the planet. And right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every single day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. So to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you one free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. And all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com chgo Bears. Again, that is athleticgreens.com chgo Bears to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Thank
0: you, Will. And Jack, you mentioned uh, a couple players I want to discuss here in terms of the Lovey Bears. Okay. That may have a chance here. And I, you mentioned a player that we, we probably hear his name every Sunday, Charles Peanut Tillman. Yeah. Right, as a guy that, you know, everyone's learning now the peanut punch. Matt Eberflus has brought Charles Tillman in to speak with the current Bears to kind of discuss what it means to be a Bear, but also probably to learn that technique on that punch and why it was so valuable. But with him, what what's kind of like your, your vision, like what are you seeing out of him and his potential uh, of being a, a Hall of Famer?
2: Yeah, so – Charles has a good case he has a tough case and one of the reasons for that is that when you're when you're first you don't get the respect and you don't get the attention that you get once a template has been formed the next Charles Tillman will be getting pro bowls and all pro selections for the same things or less than what Charles was doing because at the time when he was playing it was all about interception numbers and every year there was someone who was had a huge interception season, and then who kind of fell back. And you, D'Angelo Hall, Nate Vasher, who I who yeah. I who I love, mm-hmm. but you know Nate Vash had that 2005 season, eight interceptions. Mm-hmm. Charles was just steady, three, five, four, two, one. But at the same time, the force fumbles and taking the ball away. In his career, the only person who had more forced fumbles than him was Robert Mathis. I think you have to drop down 10 forced fumbles to get to the next DB, and it's Charles Woodson. And the way that he was able to create this pressure, create these turnovers, we also saw what he did against elite wide receivers. Take a look at Calvin Johnson. Mm -hmm. Calvin Johnson set an NFL receiving record in 2012, and I think two of his three lowest receiving games were against Charles, including his worst, which was 34, I think it was 34 yards on three catches and no touchdowns. And they had that goal-to-goal stand where Peanut punched it out. On It doesn't get counted. It's not a forced fumble. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite Peanut yeah, punches I remember that where one. he stopped Calvin Johnson at the goal line going up top, man-to-man. Same thing that he obviously did with Randy in mm-hmm. in his rookie year. So Charles has a really hard road, and – which is unfortunate the way that i look at it is that the only guys who were definitively better than him were champ bailey at at his time was champ bailey charles woodson and Mm. darrell revis so bailey was first ballot he's in woodson's in first ballot and and revis Revis will go in soon and to me everybody else we needed to take a big breather and have a conversation and look at everybody else i will put charles right up against Ty law I'll put Charles right up against Rondé Barber. I'll put Charles right up against Richard Sherman. And because, you know, if if XLI played out differently, we're having a lot of different conversations. I was just talking to the Windy City Gridiron guys about that this morning and and Jeff Burks. What's up, Jeff? And it would be very, very different. Them's the breaks. But Mm -hmm. I would put Charles up against any of those guys. And actually, if you take all of their – actual takeaway numbers the interceptions and the force fumbles that your team actually recovered Charles I, th- I looked at it at one point I mean it's basically like Ronnie Lott Charles Woodson Rod Woodson and then Peanut in terms of most takeaways now you know it doesn't say everything because there was a reason guys weren't throwing a Dion and we all watch Dion exactly, we know what yeah. Dion was it doesn't matter how many interceptions yeah. he actually had but I think that Charles rates very well against any of those guys. Charles is someone who might make it all the way through without even getting to the finalist stage, and then all of a sudden could pop up as a senior when you start to reevaluate and reassess, because that's yeah. what that senior committee is really good at. One of the things that you should know, there's 49 voters for the Hall of Fame. There's only 12 voters for the senior committee. A lot fewer
1: opinions, and one of those opinions is Dan Pompey.
2: But, it, that's but it's, the, still, yeah. it's
1: still the it's still from the same electorate, correct? It's not, it's not former players or whatever. In baseball, it's a completely different committee where they might be a little bit more open to uh, Ron Santo or a yep. Harold Baines coming in. That's not the case with football?
2: That's not the case. So it's,
1: it's 12 guys who are all part of the regular committee. And then there's a separate yeah. contributor and coach committee who are all part of the regular right. committee. So it's great having Dan Pompey in your quarter. I mean, that guy, his presence in that room yes. and his stature among pro football writers is unmatched. Correct. And it's a, a big part of the reason probably Brian Erlacher was in on, on first, first ballot. It's probably a big reason why Steve McMichael might get a bigger shake. But will Dan be around on that committee, still in that role, once someone like, you know, peanut Tillman comes up. I think that's a big question.
2: You don't know. And from talking to the guys who have studied the pro football hall of fame process longer than I have, one of the reasons that there's no rhyme or reason uh, Mm -hmm. rhyme or or rhythm or reason to the seniors um, more so now, but there wasn't before was because it was only five voters and there was more rotation. So just because you got to a certain stage or just because your candidacy was right. strong one year, the people who were making your case might no longer have been there. And that also serves to facilitate this backlog. I think the good news to put a button on the McMichael thing for anyone who wants to know, all right, what happens now? Where does this case go? Yeah. Is there a way that I, as a Bears fan, not me, but you know, I, you, us can advocate for him and... There is, and it's about knowing his case very strongly, sharing the articles that people have written about him, sharing the the, the, the videos. And it's important to know also that just because Steve McMichael never made it to a semifinalist round,
3: mm-hmm. much less
2: a finalist round, that doesn't knock you out. 13 yeah. of the 25 semifinalists right now, the senior semifinalists, never reached that round.
1: So I think it sucks because of the way that ALS works. I mean, that you know, there's... A, hundred percent chance that if Steve McMichael ever gets into the hall of fame, he is not going to be here to see it. Uh, That would put him in the same category as Ron Santo, not being around to see it. Minnie Minoso, not being here to see it. Uh, Dick Allen, whenever he gets in here, won't be around to see it. Like, how does that make you feel?
2: Yeah, that's unfortunate. And, and that's something that happens with everyone, but gosh, ALS puts a a much different clock Mm -hmm. on this. One of the things I looked at was that over the past 20 years, the I think it was 36 seniors who have been elected, waited 18 years to get mm-hmm. in. So the life expectancy after diagnosis of ALS is two to yeah. five years.
1: Mm-hmm. Look, I take ALS out of it. The, the life expectancy of a, someone who played N, the NFL it isn't yeah. that long. Correct. Mm-hmm. So it's, it almost says to me, like, okay, you, you have to look at this process and – And say, is this being done in expedient manners for the men who actually achieved this to actually be around to enjoy it? That that is something that I asked guys who, again,
2: have studied it longer. One of the examples they pointed out was a couple of years ago. It was Jerry Jones versus Pat Bolin for the (laughs) contributor spot. Bolin was in ill health. They knew that. They voted Jerry Jones. Mm -hmm. Pat Bolin was elected in, I think it was February of 2019. And he passed away in the summer of 2019. They historically do not take age and health as a factor
0: that's unfortunate um go ahead will
3: yeah i mean well you guys mentioned peanut and i want to say that the one play that jack mentioned on randy moss is a big reason why i'm here today i was dancing around you know fandom i was only like eight nine years old but that one play going up and pretty much mossing moss and ripping it away up there in the air like me still one of my favorite bears memories of of all time and like i said a big reason why i'm here today and if you know that that's if, a randy if, moss card is that right
0: it's a randy moss card.
2: Yeah, someone shared that with me a few years ago <laughs> it, it's a it's a split second before the actual pick the the peanut tillman pick on randy moss is a randy moss football card
1: can you find that joey that is joey, going great go to work that is great um i, I know, want that card you you share that will though and and what that means to you as a bears fan and obviously jack and i are the bears fans that we were are because of what steve mcmichael and others Mm -hmm. did and to me it almost underscores the importance of having like a ring of honor a bears hall of fame to make sure that steve mcmichael has his spot wilbur marshall Pina Tillman. Jay Hilgenberg. Right. Who knows? I mean, I, I assume Devin Hester will eventually get in, but, but you don't know. So it's to me, it's like, oh, all right, if the bears move out to Arlington Heights, you better have an awesome hall of fame like the Packers do yeah. because yeah, that's, yeah, you, do you know, and I don't think the bears really are hurting it for celebrating their, for their heritage, but it would be nice to have that there. And even a, a spot in the stadium where I, you know, I, I worked in uh, Kansas city for four years and they've got a great ring of honor yeah. and you look up and you see the numbers um, of everyone who played there and were great chiefs, but maybe aren't in the hall of fame.
2: I did a piece a few years ago, arguing that one way to do this would be that the bear should after 50 years, I love that piece unretire yeah. numbers and put the initials of the player on the sleeves, and then that opens it up for, well, a lot of guys, Dent, Hampton, Urlacher, Briggs, yeah. Devin, and by the way, I looked at, historically speaking, Devin Hester is going to be in the Hall of Fame by 2027. So okay. I'm not even talking about him anymore. He's, like he's, he's a lock. But I loved that idea because part of what happens when you go to Bears games when you're little, right, and you see someone wearing that 23 jersey, And, Mm -hmm. you know, you'll tell your kids, oh, that was Devin. Or then you say, that was Jerry Azuma. But when Mm -hmm. Jerry Azuma was playing, my parents were like, oh, that was Sean Gale. And, you know, when Sean Gale was playing, they were like uh, the little little corner on the 63 team, the little white guy who went to the Saints. I'm forgetting his name. But you kind of have that every generation thing. And with some of these guys, Bill Hewitt, 56. That hasn't been in circulation, you know, (laughs) for any of us. You know, Bill George has 61, hasn't been in circulation for George any of McAfee. us. George McAfee.
1: George McAfee, five. This hasn't been circulation for George any Hallis. Us. No one even knows George Hallis had a number. Right, right, right. right.
2: <laughs> so you kind of lose some of that because you can't look down on the field. You know, my mother would always, at Bears games, would be like, well, 55, that's Doug Buffon. And then a little later, she'd be like, well, 55, you know, that's yeah. Otis Wilson. And we yeah. say, well, 55, that's Lance Briggs. You don't have any of that with 56. With sixty one, with seventy seven, you don't have that. So I like the idea of unretiring a number at a certain point. Obviously, with Walter as an exception, and or I think it's obvious. Whatever, do whatever you want. But <laughs> um, but I like that idea as mm-hmm. a way to further honor guys. Um,
1: and when you do unretire it, like to- you made the point in the article, you do have an excuse to have a big bruhaha and reintroduce the people, yeah. write articles about it, do have it. podcasts yeah. about it. I, I love that idea. Yes, you 34 is forever retired. For me, 34 yes. is forever
2: retired, but I was on uh, a sports feed when that story dropped. Mm-hmm. And I asked Jarrett, how would you feel if in whatever the year was, how would you feel if they unretired your father's number? And he was yeah. like, you know what, when I first read this and I saw it, I was angry, but then I thought about <laughs> it, I, maybe it would be okay. And it's like, he's the one untouchable mm-hmm. and everybody else up for grabs. Yeah. Yeah. Jack, you you put a lot of emphasis
0: on Briggs when we were kind of mentioning some guys. You picked that up. Yes, yes. I did definitely pick that up. I'm sure our listeners did too. And we'll get to that um, right after. Look, there's the card. Oh, there it is. Look at that. Look at that.
2: Charles Tillman is on someone else's card. (laughs) And, and, and we'll do experience. it.
0: We'll do it. Just purchase the card <laughs> on eBay. Happens. This is this is no longer up on eBay because it is on its way to Indianapolis. <laughs> way to go, we'll put Will. it right on the
2: table here.
3: It was ninety nine cents. I had that to do it. Too funny though. It's Probably
1: five ninety nine. I flipped out. I
2: don't remember who sent it to me, and I'll find him and I'll retweet it. But oh man, they sent that to me. I flipped out. I was like, like you That's don't know incredible. what happens after this, dude. <laughs> because it yeah, definitely keep, gonna be on Keep a going, sir.
0: Um, before we get to a discussion on Lance Briggs, just yeah. got to tell all of our listeners again about PointsBet. If you enjoy CHGO, one way to help us to continue to grow is to download the PointsBet app and use code CHGO when you sign up. Not only are you going to get two risk-free bets of $2,000, but if you make a $50 or more first-time deposit, you'll receive that free, free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content. You'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO locker. If you have any questions, email pointsbet at allchgo.com. And we'll help you out. And in case you missed it, online sign-up is available in Illinois. You can actually download the PointsBet app right now and register your account from start to finish, all from your phone. So what are you waiting for? Once the game starts, don't just bet. Live your bet life with PointsBet. Bet. If you a problem, call 1-800-522-4700. All right, this is the CHO Bears podcast. And we're going to pick up this discussion on Lance Briggs because before we even went live, Jack, you were telling me, like, hey, I have some strong feelings about this discussion on Briggs. You were talking with some of your guys at Windy City Gridiron about it. Where's your head at on Lance Briggs and just the discussion that you had
2: and just, again, his ability to potentially make the Hall of Fame? His ability to potentially make the Hall of Fame is tough. It's it's going to be a very long road ahead. He has a really tough road for different reasons than Charles. But what I want to always kind of keep people thinking about is that for the majority of Lance's career – I don't know about you guys, but I thought of him as future Hall of Famer Lance Briggs. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you watch someone and you think about him that way, it becomes easier to say, oh, well, this person should be in the Hall of Fame. I've been thinking about him as a Hall of Famer since 2004 mm-hmm. or 2005. And that was the way that we thought about him. That was the way I thought about him. I don't know about you guys. Is that Was that your experience?
0: Yeah, I mean, when I was watching him, especially next to Erlacher, I'm like, these guys are both making – All these plays on the field, like this guy will eventually get in. And then, you know, you have, you see the discussions that are happening elsewhere, and then you're like, oh, I guess, I guess I was wrong about that. But I've
2: always had that, that feeling that he would eventually get in. I'm in a, I'm in a group. It's a mock Hall of Fame committee. And we do a, we do, we, we do the, the Hall of Fame voting in the same rounds that the Hall of Fame does. And then we do like our own. And then once there's an actual list, like we vote on our list and we vote on their list. And it's a really cool group because it's people have been studying this a long time, and it's a whole mix of teams. There's, there's two Bears fans. There's two Broncos fans. There, we have uh, Patriots, Cowboys, Saints, sort of like Giants-Jets combo, um, a, number, a number of different guys. And I remember, like, last year, I was going to push certain guys, and I got them on the Tillman thing. And so much so that Tillman was one of our semifinalists. And then, so maybe this was two years ago. And then last year, I had to miss the initial meeting. And Tillman still ended up in the semifinalists because (laughs) the argument. Because of the work you had done. Yeah, Yeah, but but also because everybody understood the argument. Mm -hmm. It was very easy now to say, oh, I get it. I get it. Force fumbles. I hear his name every week. I hear his name in NFL broadcasts. I hear his name in college broadcasts. I hear his name in high school reporting. Mm -hmm. I understand. I tried to pitch them on Briggs. It was like silence, and I don't think he got of any votes other than me. I don't even know if the other Bears fan voted for him. I don't remember. I'm sorry, Jeff. Different Jeff. <laughs> but the thing with Lance was, and, and what makes it hard for him is that because of his position in the Tampa 2, he wasn't a sack guy. Yeah. And, the, and the outside linebackers who are going to have a great shot At Canton or guys who we know Are going in DeMarcus Ware We know is going in sack guy And Super Bowl champ Terrell Suggs is going to go in sack guy And Super Bowl champ James Harrison maybe maybe not Good sack numbers around 90 Defensive player of the year Which Suggs also had I don't remember if DeMarcus Ware had one But DeMarcus Ware is DeMarcus Ware Mm -hmm. We know what he is Yeah. Um, Von Miller Super Bowl MVP sack guy two-time champ who knows how this will go with buffalo could be Mm -hmm. you know he he could be back in the mix as well that outside linebacker spot became defined by how well can you get to the quarterback are you an edge rusher and that's not what lance was asked to do so he's got huge tackle for loss he's got a great breath statistically speaking of figures the interceptions the touchdowns he get in the end zone Mm -hmm. Five pick sixes, another off a fumble that Peanut forced mm-hmm. against Indy. Um, his numbers stack up pretty well against Derrick Brooks, who was the benchmark of that position. He's not Derrick Brooks, oh, yeah. but, he's, but he's the next guy. But that's going to be the problem for Lance, is that this has become this whole conversation for OLBs all about sacks. And that just wasn't what he was asked to do.
1: So that's a good segue into a question that I wanted to ask. If you're watching the YouTube podcast, I'm wearing an old Khalil Mack, Mack attack t-shirt yeah, yep. from breaking tea. Um, he was a guy when he came into Chicago, you thought, okay, here's the next great Chicago linebacker. Here's the next guy. He, he might be on the linebacker Mount Rushmore for the bears. Uh, he's probably a shoo-in for the hall of fame. Now that he's onto the chargers and didn't have a great finish to his career here. What's your gut reaction? Is he a Hall of Famer?
2: I think, he, I think he still is. I think that there are kind of two levels of where you can be mm-hmm. as a Hall of Famer. One is, I, like I said, I always thought of Lance as future Hall of Famer, Lance Briggs, but I don't know that Lance ever passed the bus test. And the bus test is if you get hit by a bus right now and you can never play your sport again, are you a Hall of Famer or are you not a Hall of Famer? <laughs> right now that's what i call it i call it the bus test
0: how'd you uh, come up with just like the bus test just if that you just, get hit by a bus man that's just, okay. it okay you know it's not
2: like it's not like too morbid you could live <laughs> yeah, i guess yeah. but but I, I don't know if mac
1: passes that test right now so i
2: really don't so here's so here's the other part <laughs> i think for me that once you reach a certain peak mm-hmm. that's it that's kind of what stays in the minds of voters yeah kenny easily kenny easily 1984 Defensive player of the year. Awesome with Seahawks. Mm-hmm. Bunch of all pros. Only played seven seasons. And at the time, they weren't voting in these guys with short careers unless you were truly transcendent.
1: right? Like Gale mm-hmm. Sayers,
2: who, by the way, when the NFL had their 50th anniversary team in the start of the 69 season, Sayers 65, 66, 67, 68. Four years. In four years, Gale Sayers was named to the 50th, anniversary NFL team it was him and Jim Brown as the backs wow four years so it's kind of like when they did the top
1: 100 for the NHL and like Duncan Keith Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tate somehow all found found their way on it yeah yeah so to (laughs)
2: me I think Khalil Mack reached that level I think he had that that amount of dominance what he did in Oakland Mm -hmm. what he did that first year here and the way that I mean I wrote a column that he should have been the MVP of the season in 2018 that was just my view I'm a I, like I'm a I'm a yeah. historian, but I'm also a meathead. Like I'm sort of both. <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, I, lo- I love Mac. He's the only guy that when he's the only person that I immediately bought their jersey upon them arriving, getting traded here or being drafted. What it, like I still haven't bought a Justin Fields jersey. I still want to wait. The jersey test. Mm-hmm. That's another
2: key test. Khalil Mack
1: right away. I was like that, that went on sale. Like I, it was like, I was probably one of the first 50 people on an NFL shop to buy one.
2: So my only adult bears Jersey was a Marcus Robinson Jersey that I got in 2000. And then he went to Minnesota. So Mm -hmm. I had to, Closet it, <laughs> sort of, but I would still wear it to Soldier Field. I remember you should some, have worn it today. I remember some guy dogging me out in the men's room at Soldier Field, and, the, oh, Vikings. And I was like, all right, man, give me like a few years. Like, it's going to be all good. But, yeah, who passes the jersey test? Yeah. Neil Mack passed the instant jersey test. Oh, for sure. So, yeah, I think, I think he's going to go in as well. But, again, he's got that advantage. He's got the sacks. He's got the defense. I
1: think here. he could acquit himself rather well by helping this Chargers team to a Super
2: Bowl. Well, that then
3: that, that locks elevated. will elevate Yeah.
0: But, Will, you had a good point, though, that um, as we're kind of discussing these outside linebackers, linebackers.
3: Yeah, Jack, you're talking about how now the Hall's looking at outside backers and getting after quarterbacks. Those sack numbers are starting to kind of take paramount. I just wanted to mention like how unfortunate that is because the NFL, over the last decade plus, has changed to that more 3-4 mentality where those outside linebackers are now edge rushers, unlike Lance. And you would just kind of hope they would – take that into consideration, like the different roles that linebackers would play in those different defenses. But uh, I could also understand when, you know, people care about sacks so much and they see that position changing to it, where guys like Lance were kind of at that tail end of that Tampa two defense uh, in Chicago before it lost some popularity around the league kind of falling to the wayside. I just think it's very unfortunate that it ended up being the case.
2: And that's funny, that's sort of how it goes where when the style of play changes, you start to reevaluate. So Roger Craig, for example, now you're in an era of the you know of these backs who need to be able to 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 catch, you know, and line up wide and run the football. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden Roger Craig, first player in NFL history to have a thousand yards receiving, a thousand yards rushing in a season. Eighty-eight offensive player of the year, he was the first player to score three touchdowns in a Super Bowl. You know, all of a sudden Roger Craig from a modern context, gets he, elevated. He, he looks a lot better. Lance Briggs, from a modern context, doesn't, doesn't look as good. But does that change who they were or what they did? No, of course not. So I would absolutely say I thought of Lance Briggs every Sunday, and I was like, this cat is a Hall of Famer. And so I would stay with that. I've always seen, too, like, you know, you, you go into the depths of Twitter, you see a lot of crazy stuff. But,
0: <laughs> like, with Lance Briggs playing alongside Brian Urlacher, like, does that diminish what he did? And I, I, never, I never saw it that way. Like, obviously, you, they need to be a tandem. And that's why they were both very successful. But, Well, where did you, because
2: you're, you're a little younger yeah. than, than me. Um, where did you look at Lance when you were watching him and, like, how he compared? Because I was comparing him to, like, a lot of guys who mm-hmm. I had grown up watching mm-hmm. because Lance is a little bit younger than me. So this was the first generation of athletes where I was like, oh, I'm older than you now. So where did you compare Lance? Where did he fit in for you when you were watching every Sunday and being like, is this the, is this the best guy I've ever seen? I always say it's like when you watch The Godfather, you're like, there's no movie better than this. When mm-hmm. you watch The Godfather Part 2 you're like, oh, wait a second. There's no movie better than this. When you go back to The Godfather, you're like, oh, never mind. This was better. But if you can <laughs> even reach a point, so like Calvin Johnson for me is like Godfather Two. Like mm-hmm. when I stand back, I'm like, oh, you weren't better than Randy Moss. You weren't better than Jerry Rice. But when I'm watching him, I'm like mm-hmm. – this is impossible. Nobody could be better than than this. So, like, for you, where was Lance Briggs? Yeah, it's a good question. Sunday I to Sunday.
0: Because I'm also thinking of the other inside linebacks that are playing during that time, too. Obviously, you're playing alongside Urlacher, but you also have, like, the Ray Lewis's of the world. So it's like, he's not there, right? right. But, man, he's still consistently, it's 54, 55, making tackles in the backfield. Right. So he was, for me, just kind of in that realm of being a productive playmaker that... When it's all said and done, I could see it happening.
2: We all agree Jack- if the Bears win Super Bowl forty one, Lance Briggs is in, correct?
0: Yeah. We all agree. There's not,
2: yeah. a, there's not a conversation.
3: Yeah. Don, I was gonna say you mentioned the guy earlier for me, Terrell Suggs. Like when I was watching back in the day, it was Erlacher and Briggs, Lewis and Suggs. Like that was like the AFC, the NFC, like linebacking duos that like I, to me like stand out immediately when I reminisce.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, even but even they had they had Ed Reed. Yeah. Behind him mm-hmm. and the Bears in that Super Bowl were playing with without someone who I thought at his peak oh, was on that yeah. level. Obviously, right. Mike and we all love Mike. And, you know, we were playing without him. We were playing without Tommy Harris. and We still had a shot to win the game. Thomas Jones, blah, 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 you know, whatever. But <laughs> like, I mean, that's another one I think of. Like when you talk about bad breaks, like yeah. if we stick to the run. Then we're feeding TJ. We might win that game. We win that game, Thomas Jones is Super Bowl MVP. Thomas Jones is Super Bowl MVP. We don't trade him. We don't trade him. He retires as the number two rusher in Bears history behind Walter Payton. And if he retires as the number two runner in Bears history behind Walter Payton, then Thomas Jones is now in all of these Hall of Fame conversations, not for anything different that he did, but because he's a Super Bowl champ, he's a Super Bowl MVP. Do you know that he's the only player in Super Bowl history to get traded immediately after running for 100 yards in the Super Bowl? <laughs> wow. He's the only one. He told me that. I was like,
1: oh, I'm sorry, bro.
2: Man. But that's how those circumstances play.
1: So r- rings obviously matter, should they?
2: Yeah, I think so, and I think this cuts. This is, this is part of the problem. If you make the case that Steve McMichael was this key player on one of the greatest defenses ever and won a championship, then mm-hmm. you can't turn around and say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. If so-and-so, it doesn't matter. The Bears didn't win in '06." I think you mm-hmm. have to look at the entire thing right. and you know it's unpo- it's unfortunate like I look at Richard Seymour and I'm like you're a hall of famer like you held it down you play multiple positions that that first not a three-peat but th- those first three New England titles were really defensive teams but Richard Seymour has the benefit of playing with Tom Brady and under Bill Belichick and Steve McMichael has the misfortune of playing with McMahon who, who couldn't stay healthy right and Mike Dicka, who is a
1: good So what, is a, what does it look like if they win in an 86 and squeeze another one out?
2: If they squeeze another one out, then now you're looking at McMichaels in. Now you're looking at Wilbur's in. Mm-hmm. Now you're looking – now Dicka all of a sudden may be a Hall of Fame coach.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although the yeah. Hall of Fame
2: doesn't do that. They don't, they don't, they don't do two guys. You, know, you can't go in twice. Right. So, like, oh, in the NBA, okay, like, yeah. Lenny Wilkins is in as a coach and a player. But, like, Ozzie Newsome is, like, the greatest GM of all time maybe. Like, he won't go in. As a general manager, you know, John Madden won't go in as an announcer. They're already in. It's like you're in, you're in. Got it. But, yeah, if, if they win another title, that whole thing is different. If the Bears win in 06 or in one of those J years down the stretch, 10, 11, 12, that whole thing is different. Mm-hmm. If the Seahawks give the ball to Marshawn Lynch, then Marshawn <laughs> Lynch has two rings. He's mm-hmm. a Super Bowl MVP with a 100-yard game and two touchdowns, a Super Bowl-winning touchdown. And he's going to Canton. Man, Jack, I
0: just love how your mind works, how the whole Thomas Jones and where it could have been. But (laughs) that's why you do the work that you do, and you're able to just relay history better than anybody I know. And I really appreciate you coming on today. I wish we had more time because there's so much more we can discuss with you. But it's been a pleasure, and I'm sure our listeners really enjoyed everything. And for all the people that were maybe hesitant on Steve McMichael and his Hall of Fame case, I don't know. You listen to to Jack
2: over here, and – i think it changes a little bit of your perspective and i just want to say i see one person here who wrote hester should be in no point in waiting for what it is the process but uh devin hester was a first ballot finalist last year statistically speaking historical voting trends he will be in by 2027 i've kind of clicked and moved on from devin because that that finish especially as a pure returner no Mm. pure returner has gone in That finish was very significant. So everybody can be cool. Devin's going to go in, shift your attention to Lance, to Charles, uh, to McMichael, to to Hilgenberg, Marshall, Automatic Jack Manders, whoever else. Jack, I'm wondering. I'm I'm just curious. I'll test your abilities here. uh (laughs) Who was the NFL passing yards leader in 2008? In 2008? Yes. Breeze.
1: God. (laughs) (laughs) Impressive. <laughs> <laughs> so so impressive! Chat, but, like this guy's
0: an encyclopedia involved, just right. That here, is right incredible. Uh, that's that's Jack M. Silverstein. You yeah. can follow him at, at reject See all He's his available
1: work. for sports trivia hires. Oh yes, so. uh, you're gonna win
0: that every <laughs> single time. But any, go to Windy City Gridiron. You can check out all of his work, and you won't be disappointed because uh, Jack does an incredible job. But I just want to thank everybody for tuning in to today's show. Make sure you're following us on social media at. Uh, show underscore bears underscore sports and we'll be back tomorrow at 1 o'clock for a remote show but tune in uh, to that and everything going on for the rest of the week but until next time, Bear Down Chicago